Hello, this week we are talking about Steven Spielberg's longest film, Schindler's List. I'm Kenny May. And I'm Tony Marchese. And we're all blocked up. Welcome back to month two of All Blocked Up. As you heard in the intro, this month's host is not Chase Martin, it is Anthony, it is Tony Marchese. Did I say that right? Marchese. Marchese. Close. It's been, I've gotten it worse. Marchese. <laughs> okay, so as I also said in the intro, today we are discussing Steven Spielberg's longest film at a runtime of three hours and 17 minutes, Schindler's List. Initial impressions? Uh, initial impressions overall, I did enjoy it very much. I've been wanting to watch this movie for a long time and you finally gave me an excuse. Literally, like I've had a queued on Netflix for since the moment I saw it on there, but even longer, I've had a disc copy at, uh, at my old house and now at my parents' place that I borrowed from a coworker probably three years ago that I haven't given back. So that's how long it's been in my queue. <laughs> So I'm glad you finally got me to watch it, and now I can contact this coworker and say, hey, you want your disc back? Do you think they even remember that they gave it to you? I mean, they haven't contacted me and said anything. It's probably somewhere in the back of his mind, like, hey, I should get that back someday. Yeah, there's been, it's, it's easy to forget about things, especially after three years. Yeah, but he definitely recommended it, so I'm sure he would like his copy back eventually. Mm-hmm. Like, initially, I, I did enjoy it. I did it. There was some impressive cinematography. I, I've always enjoyed Spielberg's cinema, cinematographical work, but it's too long. <laughs> it could be done in much less time, because over half the film is just establishing the feel of Nazi Germany, from, especially from the side of the Jewish people, which is important. It's important to understand that side, because that's a side most people don't experience, especially nowadays. But it could have been done quicker. Also, and this is less of a technical or story note because hopefully uh, they tried to be as historical as possible when making this film. But honestly, sh- the characterization of Schindler, pretty weird. <laughs> I don't think, like, except maybe towards the end, he never intended to do anything heroic. <laughs> yeah, that's. That's definitely true. Until, until stuff really got bad and he just couldn't ignore it anymore, you definitely got the impression that he was very cold and calculating about everything. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the Jews were the cheapest labor he could find. Everything was very practical mm-hmm. until towards the end when he just couldn't rationalize anymore and he, he realized, oh, I have to do this now because yeah. now this is a humanitarian mm-hmm. act that I'm performing. I, like, it was only his accountant his accountant was the real hero of the story because he was <laughs> right. sneaking in these guys that barely had any experience or skills whatsoever. And he was the one sneaking them into the hiring lines like, oh, you forgot your work permits. Here you go. He's a metal worker. Which was, that was a jarring moment. I really liked that when he pulled him like off of the truck, basically. And it's like, this is who you are now. Because you know where that guy would have been going, even though oh, yeah. everyone else, it's at that point in, in the Holocaust history where everyone else doesn't seem to quite know what's going on yet. Mm-hmm. So there's not like a panic yet and people are like willingly walking onto trains. And oh, and that's like uh, the one scene around that time of, in the movie, whereas the one scene that took place in the ghetto of most of them were like, eh, this isn't half bad. 
when's the last time we were able to just sit and chat like this? <laughs> right. <laughs> I did think that was interesting. Like, I, it, it felt like in the modern day, if you have like a blackout or a power outage, you're like, hey, let's light some candles and play cards. When was the last time we talked? <laughs> yeah. Getting rid of all those modern distractions. And then eventually it starts, you start seeing that, oh, wait, it's dark. This is an inconvenience. Right, yeah. Now, this was fun for a little while, and now it's time to go back to normal life. Mm -hmm. Now, as I was saying, I really did enjoy the cinematography of it. I enjoyed the black and white, which yeah. I don't always, nowadays, because when this movie was made, color was an, op was an option. <laughs> so it, it, I enjoy when black and white is made as a choice when it works. This film, it worked. And it was also interesting because a lot of black and white, especially right before they, before they were able to do color, was super interesting because the fact that you could almost see the color. Have you ever seen a movie like that? Where it's in black and white, but you could still, like, right. you overlaid what color it <laughs> should have been. Right, yeah. I forget, like, uh, one of the movies that I saw this, which was not a Spielberg movie, but it was still a good movie, was uh, The Third Man. This, like, 1950s noir film where this guy, uh, have you ever seen the show Pinky and the Brain? Oh, yeah. They did an episode parodying this <laughs> where Pinky just goes to France to meet Brain and is instructed that Brain, is, Brain has died. That's the setup of the third man. Like, they call it the third mouse because it's pinky in the brain. But the third man was just, this guy had an invitation to go to France to meet his friend. He gets there and learns that his friend is dead and starts trying to solve, okay, what happened? When it's a really interesting movie, the one critique I have of that movie is they used uh, some German instrument that started with a Z, like Seiler or something like that, which was supposed to have this foreign sound, which it did, this foreign dramatic sound to kind of increase the anxiety provoking of it, but it was really too happy of a sound. <laughs> like it got off the thing of being foreign, and especially right. in the 1950s, the German hints thing in the 1950s. Yeah, that is a good segue back into this movie about Germany towards the 50s. So I really enjoyed the musics, the music that was used. Yeah. I did enjoy the music, the music choices. It, it definitely gave you a, a sense of the time and place. Yeah, and I've always enjoyed like, especially the the use of uh, jazz, especially with black and white movies. I mean, you always have the no film noir pairing of black and white, usually with jazz music. But it fit. It was an, it was an interest. Jazz was an interesting choice for this. Speaking of that, and also just speaking of cinematography in general. One of my favorite sequences from this movie, because I always enjoy it when you have, when a film takes multiple action sequences and interposes them together and does it well. Yeah. Like the greatest example I have that, of that is a movie called Snatch, which was a heist film set in like the England, Ireland area. Great movie. It's one of the few times Brad Pitt successfully did an accent. And it was an Irish accent of all things. <laughs> it's probably the hardest one to recreate, and it's the best one he's done. Speaking of which, this is a good time to preview next month when I will be talking about Tarantino films. <laughs> Sadly, it won't be involving Inglorious Bastards and Brad Pitt's terrible southern accent. But anyway, so yeah, there was a scene where a party was going, where there was a party going on, 
like an official German party. There's a Jewish wedding, and then there was Er Kommandant, and the one, and the one Jewish lady, the younger Jewish right. lady in the basement. Whereas it, where he was, in his mind, flirting, <laughs> but just generally making her very uncomfortable, and then attacking her for trying to seduce him. Right. Even though she did literally nothing. Yeah, it was a very one-sided conversation in which he considered and then rejected her. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, I really enjoyed the way they set up his character. Because they tried to set him up as seeming like just an ordinary average guy. He's just doing his job. But then you have those interspersed moments of violence such as that or just randomly starting to shoot people. Yeah, I, I thought he was a really interesting character because obviously he's, he's this counterpoint to uh, Oscar Schindler starting out as this very practical man and eventually becoming this humanitarian. And on the other hand, you have, and I'm going to butcher his name, the, the Commandant, whatever yeah. it is. Go. Go. I, I, it was like... It's like G-O-T-H-E, I want to yeah, say. Yeah, I think, I think that's the character we're thinking of. Goat, goat, or goat. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to butcher it because it's, of course, German. But And you have him who, yeah, he's like brutal almost throughout, but they give you these little things. Like, uh, I, I really like the moment where he has that conversation with Schindler, where Schindler, like, kind of tries to take the edge off of him by convincing him to to choose not to be so brutal as an act of power. Mm-hmm. And he flirts with the idea very briefly. And you think, I mean, obviously, you, you don't think things are going to get great for the Jews all of a sudden. But like, yeah. you, you think maybe things are not going to be so bad for a little while. Yeah. But he very immediately is like, eh, yeah, forget that. <laughs> I, I feel like he... he didn't even really flirt with the idea because I know what you're talking about with the uh, when the hit the guy that was cleaning his tub said like, I right. couldn't get these stains. He's like, "Don't worry, I pardon you." And he did it like very just like sort of dismissive. Yeah. And then you see him think for a bit, see the guy running, and then a gunshot to the left, a gunshot to the right, <laughs> and he's dead. <laughs> right. I don't even think he was literally considering it much. Yeah, no, like, he definitely just, like, is processing what he has heard Schindler say. And he just falls back on his own way of thinking in the end. Yeah. And they don't even, like, show him thinking. He's just more like, I bought a new... Right, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, any, like, any other notes that you want to touch, that you want to make sure to touch on? Uh, well, you brought up color. And so I... I knew because I had seen just pictures from from the movie before that it was in black and white, but I I had thought it was black and white throughout, even though you have like the box art or whatever that has like the girl in the red coat. So watching it, I thought it was interesting when it the very first scene you have full color, I'm like oh, do we lose the color at some point? And we do, and so the majority of it is in black and white, and then at the very end, that that very last bit, the color comes back. Yeah. And the only exceptions you have are the candles and the, the girl in the red, uh, the red coat. And I thought that was really cool because it, it put these bookends on the story. Yeah. Like you have this, these, this Jewish family just living their normal life in the very beginning, celebrating the... Uh, 
I don't know. I have no idea what it... Passover? No, it wasn't Or it, Passover. was it just the Sabbath, maybe? I don't, I don't know what exactly they were doing, but they're having a, a normal family event for a, a Jewish yeah. family of the time. And then, you know, you zoom in on this candle and the, the color goes away. And then you've got this gray, the black and white for the rest of most of the movie. And at the very end, when we're back in the modern day of the time, the color comes back to bookend it. And I thought that was a really cool choice. And then, uh, of course, you have the, the girl with the black coat, or the black, the girl with the red coat. And I thought that was a really interesting choice because she only shows up a, a couple of times. And what I got from it was this feeling of we were, we were focusing on her. The, the red was obviously to, to draw focus and draw attention and show us that you know, Schindler is looking at her specifically because she usually pretty much just shows up at these points where he's kind of getting a revelation about what's happening when it's he can't it's those moments that he can't ignore it anymore yeah which the first time is when they're liquidating the ghetto mm-hmm. and it's all this craziness and chaos and then of course you see her uh, i don't know how much we're we're trying to avoid spoilers it's fine <laughs> of course you see her uh, see it again later on when they're taking the bodies out of the mass graves yeah and the, 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 the movie is like 50 years old at this point right because wasn't it around the 70s when it came out Oh, I, I thought it was 93. Oh, I might be thinking of a different one of Spielberg's films. Spielberg's been around for a while. Yeah, Close so, yeah. Encounters was the 70s. Okay. This, yeah. this one, I believe, was 93, if, okay. if I read correctly. So, that, so that's still like 25 years. People have had yeah. more, people have had plenty of time to know the movie and even more time to know what it's about because it's, <laughs> it's a dramatized historical piece. Right. But like with the, with the Red Coast specifically, what I, I got from it was... I feel like being so disconnected from the Holocaust, we look back at these stories and we think of numbers, like as, well, 11 million Jews, how many million people total, and we just can't comprehend that. So in those moments, that was us zooming in on a person. Like this is, this is how it affected a single person, and we're gonna use a very evocative color in red to draw your focus and remind you that these are people. Yeah, that reminds me of uh, a couple years ago, I went to the Holocaust Museum in DC. Amazing memorial. And one of the things they do is right before you, before you enter the main hall, the main exhibit hall and start walking your way through, they give you, they give every single person a little teeny little pamphlet. That pamphlet is the story of one Holocaust either, I believe they were all survivors, it might have been survivors or victims. Oh, I thought you didn't know until the end. No, it's in their pamphlet. It's in Is their it? pamphlet, whether or not they survived. I, the, I haven't gone. I've been meaning to. I, I thought you, like, found out at the end, no, rather not your... Their, their, their story is printed no, in from there. the beginning. Okay. Yeah. Which, I mean, you can choose not to look at it till the end. <laughs> right. But they, they also had... I don't, I'm not sure if they still have it, because I believe it was a temporary exhibit at the time. But there was a child... What was called a, the child's exhibit, which was following a they made a physical representation of this child's journal that they had found that detailed the child and his family's trip from their home to the ghetto to the concentration camp to the kill camp and it was this really touching thing because interspersed behind this physical representation of the different areas was the actual journal entries wow and it was really interesting to me 
Anyway, so we're reaching, we're getting close to the end, so just as a brief basis, I know you've listened to episodes of the podcast before, mm -hmm. but my rating system is based off of how easy it was to focus and be involved with the story from a scale of one goldfish to five goldfish. <laughs> so, Spiel, Steven Spielberg Schindler's List, where do you stand? So uh, can we do partial goldfish? <laughs> sure. <laughs> or, yeah. Or whole partial, goldfish. Partial goldfish. I don't. I don't want. I want to be the first to do that if you didn't last time. Well, you are the. You're the. You, you're the you'd be the first to do that, but you're also only the second host. I'm only so. the second host. Okay. Do what you want. <laughs> if you decide not to uh, not to do that in the future, you can round mine down then. <laughs> I, I do like this rating system because I'm I'm super ADHD, so I, I like the idea of judging <laughs> judging a work on how much it grabbed you. And this one did. It, it grabbed me because there's so many just uh, just interesting bits and, and evocative imagery and just emotional, you know, sucker punches. And it, it kept me despite its length, which is saying something. Uh, so I, I was going with, well, I mean, I'll go with, uh, let's say, four and a half. Okay. Yeah. For me, it would be somewhere between three and four, somewhere around there, just because... Well, it was it is an enjoyable movie. I enjoyed the story. There were technical elements. It and unlike what I was talking about last month with Kubrick, nev it never tried to shake you out of the experience because there are many times that Kubrick did that. But I'm not ranting about him again. That already happened. So uh, I would say around maybe three and a half because there were definitely some moments where it just took too long. Yeah. It, it could have been done shorter. The scenes that established the environment, it could have been... We didn't need as much. Because most people are aware of at least what the Holocaust was. Right. And the usually the general belief that very few people were really aware at the beginning. Uh, there is a lot of people still claim to be unaware at the end, but that takes more study. Anyway, so that wraps up this week's episode of All Blocked Up. Next week, we'll be talking about another Spielberg film, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Until then, I'm Kenny May. I'm Tony Marchese. And we're still All Blocked Up.